To have passion in life is everything. What's your Everest? Oh, is it yeah. that 200 inch box? They just look so impressive when they're wide. Especially running away. <laughs> Welcome to this week's episode of Eastman's Elevated. It's like a think tank for outdoor activity. Sounds exactly like my hunting. Just always thinking about it, always trying to evolve it and make it better. Here's your host, Brian Barney. What's happening, guys? I got a brand new podcast for you. So this week we have on the guys from Weatherby. Uh, we're lucky enough to get on Adam Weatherby and then Kevin Wilkerson. Um, I met Kev- Kevin at a dinner at the Western Hunting Expo. I sat next to him, and, and we had an interesting conversation, and I just wanted to get him on the podcast. Uh, Weatherby's got such a, a rich history of, of building the highest quality rifles, and I wanted to get him on and talk some of the calibers and, and what's the best Western hunting caliber for mule deer or for elk. And so, you know, we talk about that. We also... Uh, Weatherby just moved their whole facility from California to Wyoming. We talk over that. And uh, just an interesting conversation that I enjoyed and that I think you guys will too. Uh, Sponsor for today's show is Swagger Bipods. Uh, Swagger Bipods makes a a lightweight bipod that will mount to your rifle. Uh, Now they also have shooting sticks as well. Um, But everything's just been well thought out. Um, It's easily adjustable as far as height. Um, The... The arms on it are spring-loaded, so you can really get tension back into your shoulder, um, tension into your shooting positions, and and really your rest ha- has everything to do with being a a, a, a top shot. Um, to make those difficult shots, you have to have a good rest, and Swagger just does that. They you can acquire your target quickly. You can you can move and adjust on a moving target. I mean, it's great for all shooters. It's great for my kids. Um, I can set them up with that swagger bipod, and I watched my youngest daughter make an incredible shot this year. You know, where the deer, you know, just stopped and gave her the opportunity, and she was steady and just just made a dynamite sh- shot. Um, I thought the deer was going to be closer to 100 yards. It was actually closer to 200. I am horrible at judging rifle distance or bow distance for that matter. If I don't have the right range, I don't hit them. But uh, she made a heck of a shot. But they just make a, a great product. Uh, make sure to check them out. And thanks to those guys for their support, Swagger Bipods. And uh, over there at Eastman's, um, we've got those three beyond the grid that are now all dropped that you can see. So the first one's uh, Dan Picard um, hunting an early season Oregon uh, elk hunt. And uh, he helicopters in. It's super interesting. It's well put together. Great videography. You guys will enjoy it. Um, the next one is Scott Reeker's hunt. He talked about it on the podcast, uh, but his hunt after a, a Wyoming giant in the backcountry where they use llamas and he breaks down the entire hunt. Um, uh, great videography. Uh, I think Ike filmed it for him. Um, but it's a great episode. And then Dan Bacar has one with his dad. He talked about that on the podcast as well. But uh, he had that elk hunt with his dad. And his dad shoots his first ever elk. And it happens to be a monster. He killed a monster breaks bolt. But uh, a spoiler alert for the episode. But it, it's a great episode. Make sure to check it out. And... Uh, With that, uh, if you don't have a subscription to Eastman's, um, we have an offer right now through the podcast. Text ELEVATED319 to 22828. Again, text ELEVATED319 to 22828. It'll get you a subscription to both magazines, $29.99, and then get you the coffee table book um, with the MRS, all the 2018 MRS 
section information available there. Um, it, it's a great value to, to Western hunters. The MRS, uh, subscriber stories, and then the pro staff articles, we all pour our heart and soul into the magazine. It's the lifeblood there at Eastman's, uh, and we're really proud of what we put out there. Uh, I've got a great article coming up in the Eastman's Bow Hunting Journal here that I'm really proud about talking about some of the intangibles about being successful. You know, through this podcast, I get to sit down and have these long form conversations with, with all these successful Western hunters and Western public land hunters. And to be able to compare notes, you kind of find some similarities between, um, guys and attributes they have. And so it was a fun one to sit down and write. I really like that format of writing where you can really think and structure your words and, um, and, and the paragraphs and the, the whole article to really say exactly what you want it to say. And, uh, it just got some next level pictures I put in. So I'm really proud of the article, but, uh, make sure to check out our subscription if you, you don't already have one. And with that, with this comes out, um, I'll be in New Zealand, uh, hunting the high country. So, so pumped to get out of here and, and go experience that. I'm really looking forward to it. Bows dialed, gears packed. Uh, only thing I got to do is show up on time and catch my planes and um, lose a day in the air. But boy, is it going to be fun. So uh, we got some good podcasts coming up for you guys. Um, some good ones scheduled. I'm going to record another one tonight. I got a good guest on tonight that I'm I'm real excited about. And so we'll get that one recorded and just keep releasing this next level content to you guys. So I uh, really appreciate all the support. Um, let's get this thing rolling. So... Um, again, Adam Weatherby, Kevin Wilkerson, the guys at Weatherby, um, me, your host, Brian Barney, Eastman's Elevated. Here we go. All right, I'm live here. I've got the Weatherby guys on here. I've got uh, Adam and Kevin. Kevin, which I met at a dinner at the Western Expo when we got visiting about podcasts. And now here we are, guys. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having us. Yeah. So you guys are in the middle of a giant move right now. Um, I think that's what dominated the conversation. So you guys are moving your factory from California to Wyoming. Is that right? That's correct. Yeah, we um, is Adam talking here. We we've uh, yeah, we're right right in the middle of the move right now. We announced it at uh, at SHOT Show at 2018. And uh, so it's been a little over a year since we made the announcement. And uh, so we are up and going here with our office staff and actually here within a matter of days, uh, our manufacturing space will be open here in our brand new facility in Sheridan, Wyoming. That's amazing. That's a quick turnaround. You guys had a good contractor. Yeah, we did. Yeah, it's been it's been a long year, <laughs> but uh, it's good to finally be on this side of it. Yeah, I bet. So now you guys got all your office staff there in Wyoming, and, and you guys moved your entire entire facility and, and built an entire building from scratch there. Isn't that right? Correct. Yeah, we we're just completing a seventy five thousand square foot facility on the northern part of Sheridan here, uh, which will house all of our operations from the offices all the way through the manufacturing distribution center everything will be in one building here in sheridan wyoming uh we're in multiple buildings right now here in sheridan and like i said uh as as we uh as we speak there's stuff being trucked uh from california to wyoming and uh we'll be setting it up here and and uh, this spring we'll have have things up and running gosh what a major move um 
Yeah, I, I bet there's so many details into trying to move a whole facility like that and then build one from scratch. Um, uh, what a what a, a great deal that you guys are, are starting to get on the other side of now. Moving staff over, you guys have a lot of staff that transferred from California? You know, we had uh, – when, when all said and done, we'll have about 80% of our workforce will be new in the last year. Um, so, uh, you know, a lot of folks wanted to move, but, you know, we – we were in California since my grandpa started the company in 1945, so 74 years. And so we had a lot of great folks, a lot of longevity, and a lot of employees, you know, and team members. But it's uh, it's a big move from California to Wyoming, and uh, especially if you got family and you know maybe a spouse and kids and um, other jobs within the family, and things get complicated real quick. So um, like a lot of guys would want to come and then their wives would check the Wyoming weather and then, you know, they got to know, but uh, there were lots of tons of reasons, obviously, um, you know, that, that folks didn't get out here, but those that did are just absolutely thrilled to be here. And then those that we have hired new, uh, here this past year, um, are just a really, really great addition. And I think we're, uh, we got a new facility. We got a largely a new team in a, in a new state with limited, regulations and limited taxing and all the things that we're experiencing uh, in, in California, um, but the opposite of it. And so um, things are looking good for Weatherby in the future. Oh, I bet. Um, it's got to be really fun, too, to be able to design a 75,000 square foot building from scratch. You know, usually, you know, companies are, are in their startup or in their growth period, but you guys have established your name and your company. And then to be able to take that and design a building from scratch from the bottom up. That's got to be a cool process. Absolutely. Yeah, it's been it's been cool. It's been a lot of work. Uh, we worked with a great team here, our local architects and and uh, even just contractors. Uh, we were set a year ago uh, to to move in, and and we're moving in perfectly on time. So it it totally held to it. But yeah, it is neat to be able to take. We'd have some facilities that we kind of just piece together throughout the years and then this is you know it's custom designed for us and our operations so it's it's pretty cool yeah construction's never on time you guys did good uh yeah. moving in right on your timeline yeah that's amazing um kept a good schedule there in wyoming you guys are moving right in the middle of this you guys are probably getting all this wintertime weather that i'm getting too huh Oh yeah, I think it's one degree today. <laughs> so it's a warmer than you. And we already had some of the trucks, like uh, Interstate 80 in the southern part of the state was closed. So like we have uh, this Friday, three trucks are supposed to arrive, and then two more on Saturday. But it's all uh, weather dependent. <laughs> oh man! In, in California, we didn't deal with that. <laughs> oh, I'm glad I don't have to drive those trucks. It'd be so nerve wracking right now. And you can time it right in the winter time, but then sometimes you just get on those icy roads where it's a more of like a bobsled run than it is a highway. You know, um, no thanks on that on the driving over. But yeah, you guys are making it through anyways. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think um, it's been a real winter here in February. I'm just in Montana, so I'm just over the border from you guys. But I heard something like the fourth coldest winter or the fourth coldest February on record here for Montana. And um, I haven't had a morning above zero degrees for about the last 20 days, so it's been cold. Yeah, it's been pretty cold here, too. February's been pretty uh, pretty cold for me. I'm, I'm actually moved here from Arkansas, so it's a bit of a difference for me as well. But um it's kind of funny show season ran so you know we went to so many shows that my wife was actually the one that was fairly having to deal with the cold and i wasn't so mm -hmm. i wasn't too jealous of that in the moment but 
<laughs> well, yeah. Um, yeah, it caught up with you in the end because now you got a cold February to deal with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. People ask us what we miss about California, and some days I miss the weather, and and a lot of days we miss a lot of good people, a lot of good family and friends. But outside of that, uh, th- those are the things. So in the first part of the winter, I'm like, this is easy. Then all of a sudden, you're like, just in February, it's like, okay, it's pretty cold now. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's that's the way I am too. I I think winter's not that bad, and I'm still getting outside and doing things. And then you get a month like February where you're kind of ready for the warmth. Um, but yeah. you know, it's just part of it in the winter here. You you're gonna get some some cold snaps, and it's gonna get cold for a couple weeks, and you're gonna have to get your inside work done, and it'll warm up again. It always does, and we're getting good moisture, so you know, both Wyoming's and Montana rivers will be running. And so it, it's a good thing, and, and you can't really change it. You just got to kind of buckle down and deal with it, right? Sure. Yeah. Good. No, no, we're excited. We're, like, like Adam said, I mean, we're, we're right, on the, right on the brink of moving into the new building, and it, it's, it's an exciting time to be here in Sheridan and also at the, you know, at the, the, uh, the company Weatherby. It, it's exciting times, and we look forward to the future here, no doubt. Yeah, uh, well, you guys just make some great hunting calibers, too. Um, gosh, and I'd like to get into it a little bit since I've got the rifle guys on the on the call. Um, so so what do you guys like for a deer round? Oh, man, um, it depends. Uh, you talking mule deer or are you talking whitetail? Yeah, I would say mule deer. Most of our listeners are, are Western hunters. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, our our kind of number one Weatherby caliber that a lot of folks use for deer is the 257 Weatherby. Um, it's just it really punches out there real far, and uh, it's it's real flat shooting. Um, so I, yeah, I, I shot a, a lot of deer with with the 257. We have a 240 Weatherby that's in a smaller action. That's really really kind of a fun little caliber as well. Um, pushes a 243 bullet, you know, a heck of a lot faster than a 243 win. And, and, uh, so that one actually is pretty nice too. 257 has been our most popular kind of smaller bullet, large cartridge, uh, that, that we've had for a long time. It was my grandpa's favorite cartridge. And it's been historically for the past several decades, been our number two selling cartridge in the, in the Weatherby lineup anyways. Oh, I can see why yeah, it's such a great caliber for deer. I yeah, like this. Those little bit lighter rounds like that, but real quick and flat. It seems like those just make good shooters for open country, for antelope. You know, be good for for whitetail yeah. as well, or for mule deer. Um, yeah. yeah, what a great caliber. Yeah, we saw a lot of antelope uh, harvested this year with the 257 mm-hmm. for sure. I, I actually shot a, a pretty big mule deer this year with the 65300, um, and it it performed fantastic. Which you know, our 65300 is really a in a class in, of its own when it comes to that specific caliber bullet. But um, I shot a, a big mule deer about 340 yards away with a 127 grain bullet, and it really wrecked shop. So mm-hmm. I was super happy with that round this year too. Boy, I'd say so. That's a 6.5 300, you say, and a 125 grain bullet? It's actually a Barnes 127 is what I used on that deer. And it's it's going like uh, 34 plus, yeah, 30, 100 feet per second. Oh wow, yeah, yeah that thing's smoking out of there. Yeah, it, the velocity and the the energy downrange is pretty substantial with a 65300. Yeah, I've taken I've taken most North American big game with it, and caribou. quite a bit. Yeah, caribou, uh, sheep. Since we came out with it a few years ago, I've shot some elk with it. I um, mean, you know, it's the larger animals, but I've shot antelope with it. Um, 
so it's 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 done a lot of a lot of damage yeah yeah that sounds like a great caliber it sounds like a good one like a a, a light load for elk too yeah yeah absolutely we hear a lot of people actually at show season this year there was a a lot of response of people saying they were shooting elk with a 65300 which was was really great you, you tend to see a lot of people nowadays which you see a lot of people shooting elk with a 6.5 Creedmoor um, and a 6.5 300 is quite um, better than a 6.5 Creedmoor. <laughs> I, don't know. I mean, it just, well, it just translates to more energy out further. And so a lot of times when you're hunting elk, it's tough to get it in close. Yeah. But with great shot placement at a, up to a certain range, a Creedmoor certainly will do the job and, and it's done the job many times. Sure. Uh, with the 65300 number one, there's a little margin for error on the shot placement, a little bit more, but but more importantly, just uh, pushing energy out further. Hmm. And just accurate too. Oh. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. And then, um, oh, so what would be the perfect caliber for elk then? Um, you know, you can use that for elk, but what do you guys uh, like for an elk caliber? Uh, honestly, for elk, it's tough for me to be a 300 Weatherby. It's just a great. A great cartridge. Um, we have a following of people that really like our 3378, which is the fastest production 30 cal there is out there. Um, and that's a that's fun, especially if you need to really shoot far and get you know that energy pumping out there long range. Um, so there's there's a following of people that man once you shoot that 3378, especially longer range on you know hunts that you might need to push out a little bit further. It's that's a fun one right there. Mm-hmm. I, I We're bet. Seeing- yeah, we're getting. I, I've been getting a lot of feedback just in general of of people shooting elk with a thirty three seventy eight, like Adam was saying. Um, just it seems like just in the past season, people more people started shooting that and picking that gun up. And it's just a preferred long range round. If you talk to some some long range specialists, they really love that round. So that's a great round. But like Adam said, the three hundred Weatherby is hard to beat in, in most categories. Truthfully, if you're talking about anything bigger than a than a mule deer. And you want enough, um, or maybe a little bit more than enough. A 300 Weatherby is <laughs> is the way to go. Well, those elk are—they're just so tough, you know. That you that you do, you have to hit them right. But those bigger calibers just give you a little bit more room for error. And yeah, you want to hit those things hard and and uh, keep shooting until they're down. Those elk are just tough. So yeah, I like a little bit more caliber. I like a 30 caliber for elk. Yeah, sure. one of the things too, and one of the benefits that we see to getting bullets moving faster as well as is even you still have to calculate wind and density altitude and those different things but but it is it is different if if you are moving things faster the bullet is in the air for a less period of time and uh you know before it comes into contact with the target or the game and so um it also just it helps with that as well that uh you know just wind is such a tough variable sometimes especially if you're shooting cross canyon stuff like that so the the faster the, the bullet is moving, you know, the less um, less room for error on, on wind calculations. Oh, man, I never thought about it that way. Um, yeah, because I always think like a heavier bullet will resist the wind more, like a heavier arrow for wind drift, you know. So I hadn't thought about it that way, but you're right. I guess it's less time in the air. It's less time that that, that wind right. can drift that and bullet. Weight, weight certainly is a factor as well, but I'm saying let's say you take – uh, uh, you know, let's say you take the same grain of bullet, the faster it's moving, um, you know, it's going to cut through like, you know, when you, I don't know, even if you just throw a light ball up in the air, you throw it real fast, it, it gets less drift and you, sure. you know, you throw it kind of high and lob it, 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 and there's wind, it's going to, it's going to get more drift to it. Yeah. 
Yeah, it makes total sense. I just never had thought about it until you just mentioned it. But yeah, a quicker bullet is going to receive less yeah. wind drift, huh? Yeah. Yeah, we were actually at. I was at a at a range event the last summer, and it was really interesting to be hands on in that type of de- description. But we were shooting a six five Creedmoor right next to a six five three hundred at five hundred yards on a plate, you know, on a steel plate, and the the timing between the two. So when you shot a six five Creedmoor at 500 yards and it hit the plate yep. and then you shot a 65300 it was moving so much faster and got there so much quicker that it was like very noticeable how quicker that that bullet got to the plate at 500 yards and it was something that I can describe to people but until you actually shoot those two side by side and you realize how much how faster that bullet is it's pretty impressive yeah, it's got to be moving way faster to have it to to be audibly to be able to hear it, you know, as a as a different hit on that target. Yeah, that thing's got to be moving. And and two, you could probably sit side by side and notice the wind drift, like you're talking about, how it would get less wind drift getting to that target quicker. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there's all kinds of variables when it comes to wind drift. So changes every second, right? So, <laughs> Doesn't it? What, what it would actually be, but yeah, that's a very interesting thought. Huh. Even the the you know altitude too. When you factor that, you know, much like wind, <clears throat> slower bullets moving, the the more that's you know going to take it into effect as well. Oh wow, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. I guess when I really ponder it, I was just talking to. Um, O'Brien Martin of Asian Mountain Outfitters. We had him on the podcast and talking about hunting Tajikistan. And Guy Eastman had went over there and hunted Tajikistan. Um, but but talks about you know even though they build their turrets for the the elevation, it just seems like they get there and those rifles are off and you know the up at that elevation. Yeah. You know it's just it's just hard to replicate when you're trying to practice up at fourteen to sixteen thousand feet in elevation. Yeah, that definitely needs to be factored. Yeah, <laughs> That's yeah. a lot of elevation. Yeah, that yeah. would be quite the difference. Yes. Oh, crazy. That that elevation well, it not only affects your bullets, but, God, just the human body, too, the stress and strain it puts on you. When you're – like I even know Colorado at above 13,000, like that's way different than 11,000. So I can't imagine hunting it at fourteen to 16,000 feet. And actually the, the cameraman on the trip, Dan Picard, who was um, – he's a really in-shape, fit guy, but he got altitude – sickness got uh pulmonary edema up there and and was in really tough shape and he was in probably the best shape of anybody else up there but they actually say that it can affect those guys more you know it makes a more of a difference so there were some older guys in camp that did fine with the elevation but yeah i mean it it uh, definitely makes shooting tougher and and just a physical exertion that that elevation sure puts it on you yeah yeah, I've always found it interesting. Just ele- um, altitude sickness in general seems to affect uh, just different people. It, it totally does. It, it really doesn't matter who you are. Yeah. It, it that that in and of itself, it doesn't matter if you're the in most in shape or I mean, generally, obviously, if you're the most out shape, it might not help <laughs> the most, but. It's interesting how it does affect different people uh, individually. Yeah, that's what surprised me so much, too, is that how it is so individual to to how it affects you or who it affects. And, um, yeah, that you could train so hard for one of those sheep hunts and then show up and be so sick, you know, is is just wild to me. Yeah, they they explained it to me, but it's been a couple years since I've had it explained to me why it affects the younger crowd or the in-shape crowd more. 
gosh, I, I'd just be making it up if I was trying to remember now, but something with the with the blood or the thinner blood or something of that nature, how it can affect mm. you know younger guys more. It seems to affect younger guys more. That's what Brian Martin was telling us. Mm. Yeah, yeah, it's funny. You just be with people, and it's it's different. Um, I fly in private aviation. I don't have pressurized in, in my plane, so sometimes I'll be up there in the teens, and uh, <clears throat> even if I'm wearing oxygen, you know, I'll wear a mask as a pilot. And some of my passengers really want it, and some of it, some don't really care. Um, and it just totally depends on the person. Some will get a headache, you know. Some will start to get lightheaded. My wife just usually falls asleep, you know. So there's different <laughs> different ways that it kind of uh, affects everybody a little bit, you know. And it's it's also knowing and understanding, you know. They got little, you know, meters that you can, you know, kind of kind of gauge, um, you know, how much oxygen is is in your system and in your blood, but it's uh it's good you know especially if you're in the backcountry or you know those sorts of things especially if you're over um in tajikistan or somewhere like that to be able to know you know where it's at and to know your body and to know when your body's yelling at you that you got to get back down and you know that you got to get help yeah you're so right adam it is about reading your body because there are going to be some changes up there you know, that you almost have to get used to. Like I know, you know, on the high altitude hunts, like I don't sleep right for the first couple of nights. So, you know, all of a sudden you're sleep deprived, you know. And yeah, I notice I'll, I'll even wake up in the morning after laying there and I'm kind of almost a little bit dizzy. It takes me a little bit to, to settle in and then just acclimating to it. It just seems like it puts such, such an exertion on your legs and on your lungs. You're just not getting the blood flow to your muscles. And so each step seems like it, like it's tougher, you know, like, uh, around where I'm acclimated at around six or 7,000 feet, I can do a thousand feet of elevation pretty easy. But then when I'm at 13,000 and I've got to climb a thousand, boy, it just seems like it's everything I can do to get to that top of that mountain. But you seem to feel better and better by the day. But I, I think what you're saying is important, Adam, to, to really know your body and to listen to it, not to push too hard, make sure you're getting in enough water, you know, even dropping down to lower elevations. And then I always like to acclimate too. like the the night before I go in, I'll, I'll try to stop and sleep on a, a saddle at 10 or 12,000 feet just to start to get my body used to it. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a key element on, on a lot of these Western hunts. Yeah. It's funny here in Wyoming, just uh, with high school athletics, cause it's such a high altitude state. Mm. Like, uh, so we're here in Sheridan at about 3,700, which is very low for the state of Wyoming. One of the lowest places you go down to the Southern part of the state, it's 7,200 in Laramie. It's like my daughter swims in high school and like they had the state finals down in Laramie. And their times are all worse in Laramie than they are here, you know, because every time they're swimming a lap and, you know, especially in the distance stuff and in cross country and those sorts of things. But even heck, even basketball, I mean, all the athletes here will do that. Like I know at University of Wyoming, when you're coming out of the visitor's locker room as a football player, it says, welcome to 7,200 feet, you know, because they're, <laughs> they're training there and stuff. So it's crazy how much it affects huh. you. Yeah, it sure does. Yeah, that's wild in sporting events. Yeah, they and they 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 talk about some benefits too of training at at lower elevations just that you can get more work in, but yeah, definitely when you go to those higher elevations, it's just tough to have that same output or at least it takes a while to to acclimate your body and get it ready again to where you can you can do the same times or do the same climbs or whatever the whatever it is. But yeah, it's wild how much it affects bullets too. You really got to set up your rifle to that elevation you're hunting yep yeah yeah it'll it'll make uh it'll make you miss that's for sure 
A lot of people don't understand the real the real changes that take place with elevation and ballistics. Isn't that but, the truth? Yeah. Yeah. No, and he, and truthfully, in, in my personal experience, even when you do understand it, there's still times in which it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> yeah, there's well, there's so many variables, and the the devil's in the details in your shooting and precision and in your accuracy. And um, yeah, even even under the best circumstances, or even when you're as prepared as you can be, um, a, a miss can hit anybody for sure. It can get anybody. Um, you know, buck fever's real out there, and you, you get excited, and boy, it's tough to settle in those crosshairs and squeeze on that trigger and execute like you're supposed to too. And then even when you execute right, like you say, there's so many variables. We talked about wind earlier. It's always changing, you know, and so, um, yeah, you got to be pretty dialed in and then confident in your shot. And I think the biggest key, too, is just spending time with your weapon, spending time with your rifle and, and practicing in, in real-life environments, not always shooting from a bench. I think shooting from a bench and getting your rifle doped and figuring out the load that it shoots is super important. But then I think it's important to practice those real-life scenarios, that laying down and throwing over your pack or that, that kneeling shot and getting your back arm braced, you know, and it it's – it's so much easier said than done when you're in the field and in real time and trying to set up on a critter when your adrenaline spike and then try to get settled into a good shooting position. I think that's one of the, I think you just hit the nail on the head. I think one of the things when people are getting into hunting, maybe not too experienced with hunting with a rifle, that that's one of the biggest, I think, mistakes that there is, is not, um, not practicing in hunting type scenarios. And so I think it's really important. I think it's like, when's the last time you took a bench in the field, you know, in sandbags? Um, <laughs> and uh, unless you're doing truck hunting or something like that, most of the time you don't have that. And I think people are like, yeah, man, I can shoot, you know, inch groups all day at 100. I can do whatever. But I think it's really practicing that. I even have separate ranges that I'm comfortable in shooting an animal depending on what position I'm in. So I'm best at prone. And I'm best with shooting with sticks on, you know, on my butt um, and, you know, on up. And, and so it's really understanding what that is. If I can't go prone and even like prone, if I have a front rest, either a bipod or a pack, I'm, I'm good. But I'm even better if I can like wad up a jacket or my bino pack under my buttstock on the back. I'm as comfortable or more comfortable than I am on a bench. And so my range will really depend on that. But you know, I was, I've been in some, you know, situations or hunting up in the northern country and there's willows and there's different things and you got to shoot over it. And it's like, man, if I'm on standing sticks or even sometimes real high sitting sticks and I don't have points of contact with my elbows, like my range goes down significantly on what I'm comfortable in shooting. And I think people don't understand that early on. And so they think, man, I, I was shooting a steel you know, at 500 yards, well, yeah, off a bench, you know, with sandbags when you had all the time on the world, and you throw in buck fever and you throw in maybe, um, you know, hiking up a hill and lack of oxygen and all those different things and all the excitement, but mainly even that positional shooting, I think it's really important that hunters get out there and do the type of positional shooting that they're going to be doing in the field, and that gains your confidence, and then you know how far at those different, you know, at those different things. So sometimes you may be stalking an animal, and you're like, if I can't go prone right now, that's too far for me to shoot. But if I can sit down with sticks, I can shoot out to X amount of yards. Okay, let's see if we can find a spot to do that at this range, or we got to get closer, or whatever it is. And I think that type of scenario just doesn't get played out in hunters' minds a lot. Yeah. Oh, you're so spot on, Adam. Yeah, you're right. The 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 different shooting positions have different limits, and I think it's important 
for us hunters to realize where our limits are and in each shooting position and and whatever you can shoot on a bench on steel plates in perfect conditions you know you need to take at least 25 percent of that off you know in a hunting situation at least but but just knowing your limitations knowing your rifle and then just the more rounds you shoot through it just the more confidence you get and i've got i've got young hunters in my house so i've got two daughters 15 and 11 that are both hunters and um you know getting them ready for for rifle season it 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 helps me understand and it helps me get better as well because i go through it with them uh, practicing all their their shooting positions and it comes so second nature to us guys that have been hunting so long for acquiring our targets getting into our shooting positions you know uh, uh, finding the animal but for kids it's it's all so brand new for them and so you have to walk them through that process and and also i want them to be safe with their rifle and comfortable with their rifle and know it inside and out from from their safeties and so you know that's what we do around the house and we can't shoot every day we make it down to the range but every day i'll get them outside as we're leading up to season and i say okay here's your pack sitting position you know acquire the target and i've got a deer archery target out there where then they've got to sit down and they've got to find the target they've got to get steady and then we'll do dry fire practice dry fire practice on it where they squeeze the trigger you know we go through all the safety protocol okay safety off safety back on you know jack your shell in jack another shell try to give them that experience with that rifle so they're they're comfortable with it and and they have had nothing but success you know every single year my oldest daughter uh, I haven't seen her miss yet. You know, every time she shoots that rifle, she makes sure you know that she's steady enough and squeezes on it and makes a good shot. And 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 I know any hunter that hasn't hasn't missed hasn't hunted long enough. And I'm sure hers is coming. But they just make great little shooters when you when you train them the right way and the right shooting positions and get them prepared for their encounters. Yeah. Yeah. Even with that target acquisition, man, I've had new hunters out in the field, and you're like, yeah, well, there's a buck, and then they're looking through the gun. I can't find it. And, you know, their, you know, magnification is zoomed all the way in and, you know, <laughs> their face is too close. And, you know, there's just so many things that um, it to a new hunter takes a lot of practice. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and the, the rifles are built to do their job. They're built to be accurate. And, and when set up right, they're just so deadly. But us as hunters have to do our job, too. It isn't just about sighting those things in. And then we're going to go on this dream hunt and kill these animals that, that we've been thinking about all year long. I just think it's a commitment to your rifle and a commitment to hunting where, you know, you try to practice as much throughout the year as you can and practice your shooting positions. And, you know, it's success is is when uh, preparation meets uh, opportunity you know so yeah that's a good saying yeah and this year me and adam uh i got to accompany um adam and brenda out in the bighorns in our backyard here in sheridan and and exactly what adam's talking about is exactly what he did we we had an elk that we were pretty much stalking on and adam knew his effective distance is what he called it and um we just made sure we got within that space and then you know, even though it might have cost us the animal walking away, Adam spent his time making sure he was comfortable and super solid before he decided to take a shot. Um, we were moving packs around, moving jackets around, moving rocks around. Uh, luckily, the elk didn't seem to mind because it was still a ways <laughs> away, but um, we'd, he was definitely able to settle in in that rock ledge there and, and make sure that the shot was right. Oh, it, it uh, shows so much maturity and experience and, and a great uh, show of ethics, you know, to to spend that time to get set up. And I do a lot of 
hunting with my dad with his rifle too. He killed a, a buck. We drew, uh, he drew his Wyoming tag last year. I love that Wyoming buck hunting that you guys have down there. Just a, a great place. In fact, I think I'm due for a tag this year, so we'll see. But um, same thing with him. It's just getting him set up right and those, you know, building those shooting positions, making sure he gets that back arm stable, you know, prone if we can get it. But like you say, a lot of places with the grass or the way the terrain lays out, you can't. So then it's important, you know, to, to get that rest up front and the back elbow set and get them tucked into that rifle and even have them dry fire a couple times, you know, to really feel comfortable. Um, but I, I really think that's the difference maker is, is knowing your rifle, spending the time with it, and, and then really spending the time to make sure you get steady on those animals, just like you did in the bighorns. That had to be a fun hunt. Yeah, yeah, it was cool because, you know, it's right here in our backyard now. So to be able to go out there and do that was really special, um, you know, just because it's, yeah, we're kind of located right at the feet of them. So it's cool to be able to just pop out in our backyard here, go hunting. Yeah, and this year we're residents. Oh, you guys, uh, you guys made out good on that deal. Yeah, that Wyoming. Gosh, you guys got some hunting there for for elk, deer, antelope. Um, just what a great state for for western hunting opportunity. Yep, we agree. True, true. <laughs> Don't tell anybody else. It's great as non-residents too. No, it's tough. <laughs> like the residents now. <laughs> so we're just, nobody should move here. It's like yeah, we're yeah. still moving here from it's California. It's so cold here. Don't come. <laughs> Uh, all up. It's all private land. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Nothing here. No, it's um, yeah, it's it's tough. I wish um, that's the one the one rule I wish they change is they don't let uh, us non-residents in the wilderness over there unless we have okay. a, a resident come with us. Well, there's a few things they change. I'd also make some more bow seasons down there and a couple things. But Wyoming has it great, and they've got great management. They're just on top of their 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 game, and then they take great care of their residents, which rightfully so. Living in these 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 western states like Montana or Wyoming, you know, we we take a hit on 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 what we can make here, you know. We don't we don't make as much as is in the big city, but it it makes up for it with with um, you know, the the tags that we're able to get and the opportunities and and raising our kids in in good communities and it, it it's just a a great place to be and we're so fortunate to be here, but I I love how Wyoming takes care of their residents. I think that's really important. Yeah, you just got to be here 12 months, man. They they take it real serious. Cuz you're only 6 months I think up there in Montana. I, yeah, you're right. Yeah, they make you be all 12 in Wyoming, huh? Yeah, all they, yeah. 12. They want, you to, they want you to suffer to get that opportunity a little bit, yes. huh? Yeah, I feel like I've lived here, like, enough now. And <laughs> the other day I was looking at licenses, and I was like, are you kidding? Like, I totally forgot that I'm still considered a non-resident. Yeah, it's crazy. And I was kind of upset about it just the other day. I was like, this is outrageous. <laughs> Yeah, residency here, that's for sure. Yeah, well, you guys are close. You'll have resident tags before you know. But, yeah, what a great opportunity to to have Weatherby in a great community of guys working there and then, yeah, to be able to take advantage of what's around you. Um, guys, just a beautiful state. I, I love hunting the, the high country deer there. Um, I haven't gotten elk tag in Wyoming, but I'm due. And, um, yeah, the, the pronghorn is just next level there. So, yeah, you guys landed in a cool yeah. spot. Yeah, my wife got a, a nice mule deer, uh, high country mule deer this year. So, um, yeah, pretty nice buck. Oh, right on. Um, yeah, in Wyoming? Season. In Wyoming, yep. It's non-residents. We just had some points. And see, when you move in, you, you can't transfer your points because they're just a limited quota draw here as residents. So we got some deer and elk tags hunted as non-residents, even though we are good Wyoming tax-paying citizens. 
Well, kind of. What tax they have here, we pay. <laughs> it's it's way better, isn't it? It's actually feasible for a business to operate, I bet. Yeah, it's actually like they want you here. <laughs> it's the same way here in Montana. Well, I look, it scares the heck out of me. Like, I don't know how people make it in some of these places, you know, not only with, with business taxes. I'm also a small business owner, but um, with, with property taxes and things, you know, where in a lot of these locations, people get their houses paid off and then can't afford the taxes on the house that they own, you know. And so Montana and, and Wyoming and, and some of these less populated areas are just uh, uh, way nicer on their taxes to us people. They are. Yeah. Absolutely. Which is nice. I don't mind paying my fair share, but um, it gets a little outrageous. Like I, I, uh, that's kind of the way I think of California. Anyways, I come from Washington originally, is where I was born and raised, and they're pretty tax happy there too. Yeah, yeah, they are. Yeah. <laughs> no, well, that'll be good. Yeah, I bet you guys are excited to get that new facility up and running, and and uh, sounds like you you've been able to fill most of the positions and things with really good people there. And um, Wyoming's just going to be a great place to run a business. Yep. And after uh, right about mid-June, um, we'll be opening a visitor center. And so folks are coming by. We're right off the interstate here um, in uh, in Sheridan. And you can kind of see our building right from the interstate. And folks can drop in. We'll have a showroom, a little retail area, and just kind of see some historical stuff and things like that. So uh, kind of this summer, if anybody's coming by, I'd love to see you. Yeah, how cool. Well, there's so much history in the company at Weatherby. Um, when, did, when did Weatherby start? 1945. 1945. And and started, you would mentioned your grandpa a couple times, Adam, that um, started it. Is that right? Correct. Uh-huh. Roy Weatherby, yeah. Gotcha. Um, yeah. yeah, you guys have so much great history. Well, just so much great history of building great hunting rifles, you know. It's, um, I've, I've heard of Weatherby since, since I was 13 years old and we were getting rifles around deer camp, you know. It's just a, a amazing history and an amazing reputation. You guys have always built top-notch rifles with top-notch performance. So, um, yeah, I, it, uh, it feels like you belong there in Wyoming. I think it's going to be a good home for you guys. We do too. Absolutely. It already feels like home. Oh, <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. And then you guys got a, a lot of good things in the works too. Um, talking about um, putting together a podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully we'll have a podcast out here in the next, in the next couple weeks, months, maybe. Uh, yeah, I would say long, just, I, I say maybe <laughs> uh, we just got a lot of cool, like, like we're talking about here. We've just got a lot of, uh, really cool information about both our rifles, our shotguns, and our cartridges that we develop along with our move, our new facility, um, the constant hunting trips that we're on, both as um, Adam and the Weatherby family, but you know even the people that are involved here in that lifestyle at the company. So we feel like it's about time for us to have a podcast to to communicate to our fans and to people that are big believers in the Weatherby brand that uh, a direct line to, to listen to us talk, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, and uh, sorry, Kevin, I don't mean to put you on the spot on the, on the podcast. I just think it's such a great platform. And like you say, you guys are so rich in, in history and in, in, in hunting. Um, yeah. I just think it, it, it's such a great platform for you guys as well to, to share your story. So that's why I wanted to mention it. Mm-hmm. No, I really appreciate you giving us a shout out on it. Yep, um, for sure. Well, um, where can guys find out about – they said they can stop by the storeroom. Um, you guys have your website. Where's that at? Yeah, check out weatherby.com. 
Uh, we're actually in the process of redoing our website, so we're pretty excited about that mid-year as well. But really, we, we're really active on social media. So our Instagram and our Facebook, we, we generally get our information out to that first off. So if I'm sure everyone listening is on social media. So I would say just look us up. Weatherby Inc. is our handle on both Instagram and Facebook. So check us out there. Yeah, you guys have a great social media. Yeah, your Instagram account is great. I, um, yeah, I've been following it now for a while. You guys do a good job uh, uh, of sharing different information about calibers, about rifles, and, and then also about hunts and and um, you know different people inside the the company of Weatherby and then other people that are using your products. But yeah, it's a it's a great social media um, site there. Appreciate it. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, thanks a bunch, guys. I really appreciate it. Um, it was really nice to meet you, Kevin, in person. And Adam, I'm sure we'll get to meet face-to-face. Congratulations on the move. And, yeah, thanks for taking the time and being on. I sure appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, thanks for, for having us. us. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Talk to you soon. All right. Bye. See you, bud. All right, guys. Uh, that's a wrap on that episode. Um, yeah, fun conversation with those guys. Uh, you know, it's uh, – they sure know rifles inside and out and um, just fun to pick their brain on different calibers and, and uh, talk over their company. And I really enjoyed getting to meet uh, Kevin and, and having conversations with him and, and uh, my interactions with Adam. He seems like a heck of a nice guy as well. Uh, his grandfather started Weatherby, which is just amazing. So uh, thanks to those guys for taking the time. I sure appreciate it. Sponsor for today's show is Swagger Bipods, uh, just making the best bipods out there. They're lightweight, mount to your rifle, they're spring-loaded, easily adjustable, easy to track your targets, easy to get tension against your shoulder, and uh, being a good shot is all about the rest. And uh, Swagger Bipod fits the bill from sitting to kneeling to, to prone. Um, it just make a, a, a great product that'll make you a better shot. So if you're in the market for a bipod, make sure to check out Swagger. Excuse me. Um, yeah, and with that, uh, let's see. We've got uh, those those three beyond the grids. Make sure to check those out. If you don't have a subscription to Eastman's, make sure to text that elevated three one nine to two two eight two eight. And um, yeah, with that, and off to the Southern Alps. I I know it's all I can talk about. It's all I can think about right now. I am I am just so psyched to to get down there. What a cool place with just giant mountains and. I've gone a, on a deep dive on on YouTube watching tar hunts and um, red deer and fallow deer, chamois. Um, what an awesome opportunity! And to be able to look at a, a new species, you know, in a in a new habitat and chase it with my bow. I mean, that's what dreams are made of. Um, it's crazy. Just an average guy like me gets to travel, you know, all the way across the world and go boat hunt in New Zealand. Um, this is just going to be incredible. You know, I don't even need to harvest anything. Just want to take some really good pictures, have fun with friends, uh, learn a lot about there, um, and, uh, immerse myself in, in, uh, that really cool place. I, I can't wait for the tar, like a above tree line in that alpine environment just these big alpine basins and and snow and steep and gnarly the weather can come in it can blow 100 miles an hour there um i love that <laughs> it's gonna be so much fun um so gear's all packed bow is absolutely dialed um i think i've got all the logistics worked out got all my topo maps um you know i i absolutely love onyx on every hunt i go on every hunt i do um, and Onyx does have some satellite imagery, but they don't have the topography. And um, it, it just, uh, 
I, I don't think they're set up for for New Zealand yet, but I'm sure it's coming. There, uh, but uh, so I have I've had to go old school, like uh, with ordering all the topo maps and then um, you know get my compass and uh, have to navigate old school. But um, what a what a giant place and and uh, giant mountains. Um, I cannot wait. So I can't wait to share this hunt with you guys. I'm gonna do a bunch of recording while I'm down there when I get back. And uh, just try to share my experiences, but um, God, it's it's fun when you find these blue collar adventures. And you know, the fl- the flight isn't the cheapest down there, but pretty much after that, there isn't much that I have to pay for. A little bit of food down there, and um, chip in for the rental rig, which isn't too much. But uh, we're gonna be sitting good down here. It's gonna be so much fun. So, um, all right, well, I can't wait. I gotta get these podcasts out to you guys. Get my work done. And uh, so I can I can get out of here and and uh, catch a plane. Um, thanks for all the support, you guys. The the iTunes reviews, the the um, the support off the Instagram, Facebook, um, and listening to the podcast. I mean that's everything for me. So um, yeah, I, I just uh, I appreciate it so much, and it's part of the reason why I can go on an epic trip like this. So um, I don't take it lightly, and I want to continue to bring you guys the the absolute best hunting content I can, the most pertinent information to public land hunting out west. And, and uh, I just want to continue to live the lifestyle and share it with you guys and, and uh, uh, get better and sharing everybody's success. Um, so it's, a, it's a, a fun community that we're building here. Um, I just really appreciate it, guys. So that's a wrap. Uh, thanks to Weatherby again. Uh, thanks to our sponsor, Swagger. And um, I'll check in with you guys next week.